Kia ora, good morning and welcome into the show. It is SENZ, Izzy and Kempi for breakfast at four past six on your Tuesday morning. Coming up this uh, this morning on the show, Sione Farmawina is going to join us, a former warrior, and uh, he's got a new project that uh, we're going to speak to him about uh, around seven o'clock and get his take on a few issues, some of those that we'll cover off in Triple threat shortly as well. Uh, also, Jeff Parks, he's a, a Kiwi living in Australia. Uh, he's a rugby writer over there. We'll get his take on Hamish McLennan and the fallout at Rugby Australia and uh, where to next and, and, and how are Rugby Australia actually placed. Uh, Jeff will be able to fill us in on all that. And Niall Williams Guthrie as well. She uh, is flip flopping between sports. It's happening. She's gone. To, she's gone from rugby as it should do to news and uh, to NRLW. Trailblazer. Now, now back to rugby. So we will talk to her as well uh, after she uh, signed with the Blues. Uh, that news coming out yesterday. That is all coming up for you on Izzy and Kempi for breakfast. Kempi, how are you, brother? Oh, I'm a little bit sore today, mate. You standing uh, up? Yeah, I am. I'm like. The knees are a little bit uh, pakaru. The uh, especially my right one, the one that I had all that drama with the old four operations on, is starting to starting to feel a little bit worn and torn. And I don't know, mate. I I I've been heading up to as you know up to the north and doing some work on the farm up there. But I, I I've got this issue where when you're lifting things, you know, like and I know that I'm not meant to be lifting because I've got a compressed disc in my back. Mm-hmm. But that pulling exercise. Where you where you pulling up something off the ground and you're lifting, must push down on my disc, yep. and I end up with the. I know, I know it. I go, I shouldn't really not lift that, but you know, I've got to move that from there to there, and I've got this unusual one in my back at the moment. It feels like it's inside my hip. I've had a bone graft on my hip before, so I don't know whether it's that, but it's in a different spot in my back. So that's been lingering now over a week. Um, and yeah, it's starting to starting to get on my nerves a bit. So I, I just thought I'd get on my feet this morning, um, as opposed to, get to the sitting osteo, down. Mate. Get you to the yeah, osteo. yeah, yeah. Well, you did right, I, oh, mate. I've tried it all. Yeah. Again, you know the the thing with um, having that that fourteen year rugby league career and and all those injuries was is that now I've uh, I've been to basically every witch doctor, you know, chiropractor, osteopath. Um, person in New Zealand to uh, to try and get some relief um, in and around some of these injuries. So, uh, look, if you know of someone, if you know someone who's really good, fascia. I tried the fascia massage. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, actually, had a had a girl down in Fongamata that used to do that, and one out at Muruai too, who was very good before she stopped doing it. Um, but yeah, there's 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 lots of lots of uh, alternative. Um, remedies out there but if anyone knows of anyone out there I'm actually looking for someone at the moment who can uh, sort of manipulate and uh, correct some I guess some crooked some crookedness in me at the moment especially my back because what's happened with my knees Rick is that my new knee yeah. is straight and my right knee which was a what they call a um, osonomy basically where they bent my leg back out made me look like um you know, Don Quixote, because yeah. I had knock knees like Izzy, uh, didn't work. So exactly the same operation as, as Izzy's and didn't work, and it, and it became a nightmare, absolute nightmare. And at the moment, it feels like I've got two knees in there, um, which uh, I hope to have sorted out come next winter. So uh, reason I'm standing up, 
yeah, just to just to stretch out a little bit, have a bit of a stretch while I'm here this morning, and and you know get uh, get get rid of some of that that aching aching. What do you call that? Ache and pain. Well, pain, living with pain, mate, is part of your life at the moment. Yeah, I hear you, mate. A guy, uh, osteo guy called uh, Philip Metric, uh, he's based over in Glenfield, been to him a few times. He's, yep. he's magic, mate. I've had frozen shoulders, frozen neck, lower back issues, all that, mm. sorts it out. He does acupuncture. Yeah. And then hooks the needles up to a TENS machine. That's right. And yeah, then, I used to get that done in, in Newcastle, actually, yeah. by, by Godfrey Wong, mm-hmm. um, who's quite famous at Newcastle for all the footballers. And then, uh, yeah, puts everything back into place, mate. He's he's fixed me multiple I'll times. I'll get his number off you. Yeah, used to work, uh, used to do a bit of work for the New Zealand Olympic weightlifting team and stuff like that, so he used no, to they, work with big bodies pain. as well, so, you mm. know, which is good, mate. He's good. He's good. All right, let's get into this. Let's get into the triple threat. Round one, fight. News came out yesterday officially that all uh, six uh, rugby federations in Australia had called on Hamish McLennan to step down as the CEO. He has done so. I guess the question now is, and we'll get more on this from Jeff Parks after eight, who wins out of this? Who do you think is in a is the biggest winner out of Hamish McLennan going? Is it Rugby Australia or is it the NRL? Oh... Well, I just I think he picked a fight with the with the NRL that he just could never win. Mm. You know, like the NRL, are, it's the NRL or Ferrari, and they're in a mini. Yeah, put it that way. You know, it's just, there's no no comparison whatsoever. So that's a lay down uh, bazaar that one with 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 the NRL not really giving two hoots about McLennan because he was a flea compared to anything else that they they deal with. Um, I, and I, but I do think when that when you ask that question around who are the winners, I actually think Grassroots Australia are the winner if they can get it right. And and what I'm hearing about Dan Herbert, who's got the chairmanship in there, and we'll, and we'll talk to our mate about that when he comes on. Are they actually going to go back and get rid of this private school mentality and rugby union, which is just no longer relevant? You know, and one of the things about rugby union is it is private school mentality. Yeah. And I think for Australians um, especially, they need to get out of that and get into public public uh, space, public schools, and make it more open to all kids uh, playing that sport. Because at the moment, I would say that rugby union is irrelevant in Australian sport. Cricket, NRL, AFL, um, soccer. Basketball. Basketball and netball. A way ahead of a of a country that has won two World Cups, and in saying two World Cups, I reckon if you asked any Australian walking down the street how many World Cups has Australian rugby union won, one they wouldn't know um, the answer, but two they wouldn't even know what rugby union is. It's funny you say that because I years ago I was in uh, I was working in a different radio station, and it was the comedy festival. And so we had like different people from around the world come in, like different comedians, and we interviewed a bunch of them. And there was a guy from South Australia, right? So and he came over, and I think we we were running late for his interview because, and I don't remember who, but we had an All Black on, and so it held us up. And then we got to him and said, "Oh, you know, da da da," and said, "Sorry, you know, da da." This guy, uh, you know, is All Black, and he was like, "What's an All Black?" Yeah, and I was like, "What?" And he's like, "What's an All Black?" I was like, "Oh, you know rugby." He goes, "Oh, I've heard of it," and goes, "And I was like, well, that's the New Zealand rugby team." And then got to it. He didn't know that there was a difference between rugby league and rugby union, or that there were two separate sports. Like he was completely clueless. Yeah, and I actually think that 
is where it is again. You know, like when you're talking about rugby, I think what people think about is the NRL because of the 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 advertising and the and the hype and the glam and glitz around it. So. Uh, is it good for Australian rugby union? Hell yeah, I think it is. I yeah. think McLennan gone. Uh, I think he, I think he just picked two bigger fights that he could never win. Round two. Uh, you'll enjoy this, Kempi. I know you will. Uh, Roy Keane, former Manchester United <laughs> captain. Uh, now he was doing a video uh, for I think it was for whoever's got the Premier League rights uh, on Sky Sports. Uh, something called Stick to Football that he does. And it was him and Ian Wright, and they, they went through the 11 red cards of his career. And at, at one point, uh, there was one where he got sent off for an uh, for elbowing former Liverpool team, uh, f- former Liverpool player Jason McAteer, who was a, a teammate at Ireland. And he got asked about it, and he said, look, to be fair, he deserved it. I wouldn't go as far as calling him... Uh, teammate, just because you, you just because you play with somebody doesn't mean you're mates. Um, do you know what? What used to get me is players who shout their mouths off. I don't mind lads kicking me and booting me, honestly. But McAteer, as usual, had plenty to say for himself. I didn't deserve to be sent off in that game. Absolutely not. If you look back on it, I didn't even catch him. So he said that McAteer has now come out and fired shots, called Keane a clown, and challenged him to a fight. Um, so that got me thinking. Dean Lonigan's across it. Well, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's got five fly written all over it. But I mean, have you got a former teammate that you'd love to clip? Oh, even now, Tim Brasher. Yeah, like not not a teammate, an opponent. I'd I'd love to like give him an absolute toweling, um, just because he's got a big mouth and made up a heap of lies about me and a friend of mine. Um, I, I look there. You you do agree, like. And I was probably one of these teammates as well. There are teammates that you don't like and you don't get on, yep. get, get on with. But it, it's irrelevant when it when the whistle goes and you've got to go out there and play together for eighty minutes and try and win football games. And and I've seen, you know, the biggest the biggest one that and I was a part of it was the Toad and Nico and the Richie Blackmore mm. saga. You know, couldn't get on. Uh, we're best mates. Couldn't get on. Yet when we went out there and I was stuck between them, I had Toad on the inside and Richie on my outside, and just destroyed football teams together for that 80 minutes, but then went off and, and went their separate ways after the game, you know, like, um, it does happen, it does happen, uh, but yeah, as far as my own teammates, no, nah, I would never do that, um, opponents, oh mate, thousands. <laughs> thousands, alright. Round three. Now, this is something we've talked about on the show before, Kempe, in fact, mm. it came out, uh, Probably during the Rugby World Cup, as the as the key was getting ready for the Pacific Championship, uh, about Madge McGuire being potentially offered the New South Wales job and whether or not he could do that and coach the Kiwis. Because stories come out of Australia now that uh, there is pressure from a group of a powerful group of ex players, powerful apparently, um, on New Zealand Rugby League and CEO Greg Peters to get rid of McGuire and either have Nathan Kalis or Stacey Jones uh, in the job. Apparently, the, Peter said there's a board meeting scheduled in the next few weeks. It'll either be this week or next week, he said. It'll all come down to the board meeting as to whether or not they keep Maguire. And I, I, I get that they're, they're I hope a, not. I, yeah, but I get they're in a difficult position now because he's just beaten the Kangaroos 30-0. So yeah. if they'd lost the final, this decision's a hell of a lot easier. But where you're sitting now, January 1st, 2024, 
Is Michael Maguire the Kiwis coach? I don't think he is if he's a New South Wales coach. And this isn't a... I've said this from day one when we said this on breakfast and you know everyone sort of jumped on the bandwagon. Now, I've read all of the the socials over the last few days about you know this powerful group of ex-players that are trying to oust um, Madge Maguire. They're not trying to oust Madge Maguire. What they what what has been said, and we I made this point really clear because it's really funny. You know, people saying, "Oh, you know, disgruntled Tony Kemp's the one who started this garbage." And now it's got nothing to do with Madge. It, what it is is it's about if you're basically looking at pathways. What New Zealand and this is where people don't understand rugby league in this country. New Zealand is a pathway into an Australian system. Now that's fine because it gives players careers, but it should never be when you're when you're um, representing the black jersey, and especially in a battle at the moment to retain a Kiwi heart, the pinnacle to or a, or a stepping stone to re, to reach an Australian jersey. And if you look at it at the moment, like, and I'm not just talking about New Zealand, but Pacific Nation teams, they go into the NRL, they have a choice to, and this is why they keep tiered systems, to go back and play tier two, but then go into origin and eventually go and play for Australia. And we can talk about a number of players like that, Payne Haas, um, the centre from Brisbane, you know, your Jerome Luais, the, the, the Crichtons, all sorts of different players that have gone and done that. And what we've got, with this Madge situation is now we've got Madge saying, well, I coached the Kiwis, but I want to go back and coach New South Wales. Now, for me, and I don't know who the group of you know, boys here yesterday said, are you part of the, the, um, <laughs> the, the powerful group of players? Like, hey, fellas, Breakfast talked about this two weeks ago. You know, this isn't, this isn't news. We were actually the ones to break that, that situation. The, the situation with it is that I hope there is a bunch of Kiwi captains that are saying we need a Kiwi in the coaching role. And the reason why we need that is because it's good for New Zealand. I don't think, it, the, personally, the logic says I don't think Madge, one, will be allowed to coach both, not because of New Zealand saying, yes, our board meeting said we want you as coach. But I don't think New South Wales will allow him to do it because it's too big. Like People say, oh, no, it's only three games. Well, it's not three games. He's got to set up the, the junior structures. He's got to watch all of those games. He's got a pathway into camps. He's then got to get him into camp. It's actually a full-time role. Um, so is he is he going to a board meeting and are a, are a bunch of guys on the board of NZRL who have no idea about rugby league deciding whether or not to keep this guy as the coach? I think the history, um, you sort of has been forgotten and guys would love Madge to stay there because all they're really interested in is rubbing shoulders with Fisher-Harris and Jerome Hughes. They're not actually interested in what a what a, a, a structure could do for the New Zealand because the biggest problem we have in this country is coaches who aren't being coached. And a New Zealand coach that sits inside a New Zealand structure that goes out and coaches our coaches around the country, helps our kids understand that the black jersey is the pinnacle. Now, you can't you can't tell me that a New South Wales coach is going to do that for you because the pathway from a New South Wales jersey is to where so kangaroos is an Australian jersey, so it isn't a shot at Madge Maguire. It is a shot at the NZRL for deciding to put someone in this position when they haven't actually explored the likes of a Nathan Kalis and a Stacey Jones, um, and a, and a structure around them that could actually get the Kiwis back to where they where they uh, originally were, which was wanting to wear a black jersey. 
At the moment, our battle is how many of our kids are we going to lose to the Australian system, not just Australian jerseys, New South Wales and Queensland. We need them in black jerseys. Yep. And I think that a Kiwi coach is 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 critical to getting that done. There you go. Double eight, double three. Your thoughts on that? That has been our triple threat this morning. Plenty of texts coming through, Kempi, for you to get your back fixed as well. We'll get to some of those shortly. Double eight, double three. Your thoughts on our triple threat? Where are you on Madge? Will he be Kiwis coach come the first of January? Uh, which former teammate would you want to see Kempi jumping in the ring with? And uh, Hamish McLennan. Acts by Rugby Australia. Who's the biggest winner from that decision? Rugby Australia or the NRL want to hear from you on double eight double three. That is the temper bed post text machine. Need a new mobile plan? Visit Kogan Mobile. You're listening to Izzy and Kempy for breakfast. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse, keeping you healthy this spring. Call us anytime, 0800 150 or text us on the Temper and Bedpost text machine. Temper and Bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. And boy, I tell you what, 8833 has turned into a recommended as a Cairo line. Um, Kempe, a Green Lane chiropractic, Dr. Tony. Go for regular, uh, a regular weekly, stay for the long haul. They have parking. Sometimes there's no quick fix. Engage in a few alternatives and do them frequently. Uh, so there's that one, and this, this one here, uh, Brad, I'm not sure you pronounce his surname, I'm going to go with Fogier, uh, the practice chiro, he's chiropractor, and muscle therapy, he does the CKP boys, and travels with Izzy when he has a big fight, let me know if you want his details, mate. Yeah, he, he'd Auckland. be putting a few backs back into it, wouldn't he, shoulders, oh, legs, the yeah. way that those boys twist around there, they'd be in, uh, they get, they get uh, I was talking to Sione yesterday um, about what, you know, what it was like when we were coaching and in the, I guess the limited amount of staff we had back then mm. compared to today, like you'd have all those people today. You'd have like chiropractors, all sorts of alternative medicine people coming in, um, all on your staff basically full time. I reckon, and and yet back in the old days it was like, oh, who who are you going to get to come around and and give you a rub before a game type thing? Yeah, the assistant know? coach is also the physio. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, my dad used to strap me. Yeah, you know that's what it used to be like, and and sometimes you never had strap, you had insulation tape, and he'd make his make his uh, mark doing that. I, I remember, insulation tape stretches. That, brown, that doesn't do anything. Yeah, remember that brown <laughs> tape that you used to have? You mm-hmm. know, used to, like real thin brown. It was sticky as, and sometimes we used to have. You know, it must have been cheap to buy it, or I guess we'd have that stuff. Mate, you couldn't get it off your skin. It ripped your skin off when you took it off after yeah, the game. Mate, that stuff was horrible. <laughs> um, Iyengar yoga as well as uh, as something else that Charlie's recommended. Had this text through. Uh, Jones didn't fire a shot when he was in charge of the Warriors, briefly. He, I don't think he's head coach material. We don't have a cavalry of New Zealand coaches. 2008, we won the World Cup, but who was holding Kearney's hand? One Wayne Bennett. Yeah, and uh, that's that's a, a such a a, um, a consistent message about you know. We don't have the ca- we don't have the cavalry. Of course, we don't have the cavalry. That's the whole point. We don't have coaches, coaching coaches in this country or pathways for coaches. What we do is because um, we have people that don't know that they're, they're furnishing their CVs to sit on a board and use the New Zealand Rugby League for, for other, other positions elsewhere, is come in and find a quick fix. But the quick fix doesn't fix your problem, which is finding and building a Calvary. And that's my point. Yep. Like we need to build a Calvary and and stop going on about Stacey Jones. Look, Stacey Jones did such a wonderful job with the Warriors last, uh, not last year, the year before when they were 
you know, he had every right not to take that position because it was a no-win situation. And I think Stacey Jones is building towards being a very, very good first-grade coach. Yeah, all right. Well, watch the space on that one. We'll talk more about that as well. Keep your texts rolling through. Double eight, double three. Time now to celebrate the Chemist Warehouse Black Friday sale. We've got some balanced protein prize packs valued at over 150 bucks to give away. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse and their friends at Balance, and we're doing it with two truths, one lie. Okay, who's going first? Who's going first today? Do I get to pick? Go, yeah, you pick, Robbie. All right, I'll pick Kempi to go first. Kempi's going okay, first. well, we're talking about, um, you know, how we fix, fix the old body, you know, from some old... Um, knocks and well people often think about me as a as a coach yeah what really makes me laugh about that coaching thing you know a disgruntled coach that was 20 years ago you pork chops get over it because <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've built a bridge and well and truly <laughs> jumped off that walker um but what people don't realize with my coaching um accreditations is I'm also a functional medicine accredited health coach really and uh, went through America for a couple of years uh doing that Doing that um, that, accredi- that diploma in health coaching, so uh, yeah, just another another one of those uh, ticks that I got on my coaching resume. All right, okay. So may or may not be true. May or may not be true. What Up do you, for you think? To figure out on the text line. Yeah, uh, I'll go next. Okay. My story today. I once had lunch with the Black Caps. You once had lunch with the Black Caps, like the yeah. whole team. Yep. Wow. Okay. What did you have? Um, I was young. I had there was some chicken there. Uh, I had I had a nice uh, bowl of lollies, right? A primo, okay, properly young. Yeah, exactly. Young. Yeah, it wasn't a wasn't the most nutritious of lunches. No, all right, <laughs> okay. Uh, and so uh, this is uh, two truths, one lie. You got to figure out what the who's telling the lie and text us through double eight double three to win that Chemist Warehouse Black Friday pack. Thanks to Balance and the Chemist Warehouse, valued at over one hundred and fifty bucks. I used to have this black and yellow. BMX, Cobra BMX was called. It was pride and joy when I was a the kid. Cobra. Yep. And uh, it, I lived in Howick and Wellington Street. If you got one end of Wellington Street, the, the way the, the end away from the village, you used to be able to get a decent run up. And there was a knitting mill place down there, and it had this, this the dual driveway that so you could go in and out. Uh, but the bank in between by the hedge was a perfect ramp, right? So used to me and mates we used to go, and you'd get about a hundred meter. As fast as you go pedaling on your BMX, don't worry about cars coming in the driveway. They, they'll, they'll, they'll stop. Hit the hit this grass ramp and see how far you could jump. See if you could make the other driveway. <laughs> I landed on it. I, I landed it and uh, ruptured a testicle once. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Make well, sure you're standing. Say, make sure you're standing on your pedals. Not with you, Rick. <laughs> make sure you're standing on your pedals, not sitting on your seat when you land. That is all I will say. Oh, there you go. Double eight, double three. Who is lying for that Chemist Warehouse Black Friday sale? One hundred and fifty dollar uh, gift pack. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse and their friends at Balance, and uh, we'll uh, have a winner for you around eight thirty. Right now, though, here is Aroha with news for Kubota. Kubota's in stock catalog is out now. It's twenty five away from seven o'clock. Uh, Flight Centre's big red sale is on now with limited time offers on flights, cruises, holidays, and tours. Book now to save big. Let's have a look at some sports news headlines 
for you. Uh, let's do a quick NBA wrap. Eh? Uh, Phoenix star Kevin Durant scored 39 points and thwarted Utah's Laurie Markinen at the final buzzer on Sunday as the Suns beat the Jazz 141-37 in an NBA double overtime thriller. Durant added eight rebounds and 10 assists, while Devin Booker scored 26 points for the Suns. Markinen led Utah with 38 points and grabbed 17 rebounds and lost. The LA Lakers, fueled by a season-high 37 points from superstar LeBron James, held off the Houston Rockets 105-104. The Boston Celtics had a narrow escape, stretching their winning streak to six games with a 102-100 victory over the Grizzlies. Elsewhere, the shorthanded Cleveland Cavaliers shocked the NBA champion Denver Nuggets 121-109 as a frustrated Nuggets star Nikola Jokic battled foul trouble and ended up watching the game from the bench. Ryan Fox tipped his DP World Tour season earnings over $5.5 million and realised a long-held ambition with his top 35 finish in Dubai on Sunday. Foxy banked just over 100 grand for his 34th equal placing in the DP World Championship, uh, carding a final round two under 70. He finished six under to be 15 shots off the lead. It meant the Kiwi, who finished 28th overall in the race to Dubai, has comfortably qualified for a PGA Tour card for the very first time. Nicely done, Foxy. Well done, that man. And uh, Jacksonville. Cha-ching. Cha-ching, yeah. Jacksonville. <laughs> Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback Trevor Lawrence set a franchise record on Monday, becoming the first player in franchise history with two passing touchdowns and two rushing touchdowns in a game. Lawrence threw a three-yard and a 20-yard touchdown pass to Calvin Ridley in the Jags' 34-14 win over the Titans. He also ran the ball into the end zone from nine and five yards out to uh, uh, beat down his AFC South opponent. The record is great, but it also says something, I think, Kempe. That that is a franchise record. The first player to throw for two touchdowns and rush for two touchdowns. They've been around twenty nine years. How rubbish have all the other <laughs> quarterbacks been in twenty nine years? <laughs> yeah, uh, one of those records that you think uh, would have been smashed years ago by a number of number of players. It's um, it's all about records, isn't it? When you go to the, the NFL, when you yeah. go to the NBA, it's about triple triple doubles and and all those type of um, those plays. And yeah, look. Mate, good on him. Good on him for, for getting them. May, like I said yesterday, maybe it's their year. Maybe it is. Catch the every NFL game this season with Game Pass only on DAZN. Visit nfldazone.com forward slash NFL. Plenty of text coming through as well um, on double eight double three. Morena, guys. Warriors to set strict conditions for prop adding for Noah Blake's contract release. So is it time for clubs to tra- charge transfer fees like they do in football? That one from Barry, that's actually a really good question. Yeah, well, look, I really like that conversation um, we had yesterday in and around mid-season uh, uh, trade windows. Yeah. You know, mid-season and, and I think I think pre-season, beginning of season trade windows, uh, I think, it, you know, we have got at the moment, you can't talk to players until a November deadline, um, especially if they've only got a year left on their contract. Obviously with Adam, he's got a couple of years and and probably one of the reasons why he decided to stay with the Warriors because there would have been a few people sort of quaking in their boots if they were found out to have been speaking to, to Adam about that. Um, the, the strict restrictions that a club set around getting players, I think the NRL really need to have a look at that. They need to look at how can we better... Uh, utilise because you can utilise trade windows just a little bit like combines you know mm. where you go right it's trade window like we could have a trade week 
where you know players are sitting down, you you, you put it on telly. That you know, like the they AFL do, do it. Yeah, like we've often talked about the draft trade windows, transfer systems, and in, in rugby league, but we've never done it. Mm. And I think it's about time um, when you when you hear that basketball are doing it. You know, just in our little country with our own players here. You've got to think that the NRL could pull something together. Yeah, I don't know that a draft would work because we don't have the college system. and, and you know, I, like, I don't, they have. still don't think you have the money for a draft. No, but I think a trade, I think doing something around it, so to stop players like Adam Fennell or Blake, right, um, come, uh, you know, they could, could sign for another team but then have to play for a full year for another club first. Yeah. You know, that's rubbish. That yeah. Is, that, that's, that, that's, it's just not good because well, the players tra- not the invested, trade players got his, his, his eye on somewhere else. And it's a trade. Yeah, you know, so you know, hey, I've got Adam Fanua Blake, and oh well, I want Rick um, and Kempe. Yeah, you know, and and let's make the and, and and half a million dollars for for Adam. You know what I mean? So a trade window is a trade, and I think if a player is unhappy, you know, let's have a look at Joseph Suwali for instance. Like he's he's been traded to Rugby Union. He's been traded to Eddie Jones, and Eddie Jones isn't there. So exactly. what happens to so there is a trade going on. His trade's going straight back to Sydney, Sydney <laughs> to Nick Politis, you know. Um, but it's not it's not being utilised, and I, I just think you you can utilise that. There's a, a heap of benefits around it. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, you do as you said. Yeah, and it's not just player for player, but it could be for cap space too. You know, we'll give you we'll give you half a million dollars of our cap space or whatever for that player. Well, because everyone thinks different, Rick. Yeah. You know, I remember going into uh, San Diego Chargers years ago and. Um, Schottenheimer, he had a room. Back back then, computers had sort of just coming off, you know, like they weren't as flash as they are today and they weren't as quick. But he had a room of talent. And, and his recruitment team, I sat down and did half a day with him, they could tell me where their next running back was coming from who was 15. And the room was bigger than our studio. It was probably three times the side of this. It was colour-coded every wall and every college and every player and every ranking. See, the difference with a trade is that you think differently to me. Yeah. So I might have Rick as number one, but another coach down here might have you as number 10. Mm. You know, so when you're saying, well, I want to trade Rick, I think he's the number one coming up and I'm going to back him. And you go, well, we think he's number 10. Okay, we'll take your number one that we think. And, and that's how the trade works and, and is su- such a good thing to watch. Because um, you'll think, well, that's mate. Well, I didn't, re- I didn't, I didn't rate him, and then you see them come out during the year and go, mate, he came out of the woodwork. Yeah, that was a that was a massive trade. Totally, I, I think it would add to the spectacle and the drama that is the NRL as well, which is great. Plenty of texts coming through as well about Kempy getting his back sorted. Uh, I was with this girl with an Adam's apple in Thailand. She got my back sorted. That from Jerry. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Jerry. Uh, Cam P, head to the knacky and go see your whanau. Cam Walsh, he'll fix it. Yeah. So Cam, he's uh, he's a, basically my nephew, and uh, he's down there. He's a he's a physiotherapist and very very good too. Cam, so thanks for the thanks for the text this morning, Cam. Hope you uh, hope you're well. Hope you and Ziva and my uh, my nephew and niece are. Nice and well leading into this Christmas period. Kippy, why don't you get Izzy to hook you up through the Crusaders medical staff? Yeah. Obviously the best team, best docs, Mark size 12. Mark size 12. He's a little bit like yourself, supporters. The only person Izzy hooks up is... Izzy. Izzy. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your checks rolling through. Double eight, double three. We are 18 away from 7 o'clock when we come back. It is love racing. Take care, take care.
Yeah, you can call us now, 0800 811 or double eight double three on our temper bed post text machine. That was Tokyo Tycoon last year, uh, winning, actually was the beginning of this year, winning the uh, Karaka Millions. And although that was at Pukukoi, Ellerslie has taken another major step towards reopening and being ready for the 2024 TAB uh, Karaka Millions meeting. The home of Auckland Thoroughbred Racing has been closed for 18 months now for the installation of, a, uh, I think I call it a straight air track which was handed back to the club recently, so it could start undergoing the return to racing protocols needed to ensure the track is safe for racing. The first of those two horses cantering on the track last week. With glowing reports from Auckland Thoroughbred Racing and more horses will go there to work on Monday morning uh, with senior jockeys praising the new surface. You could hold a meeting there tomorrow, said Premiership leading jockey Warren uh, Kennedy, who remarkably had never been to Ellerslie until Monday just gone. For the second session, uh, 10 horses from Clockworthy Racing Stales, uh, Stables, Marsh Racing, Pike Racing and Forsman Racing were ridden by senior jockeys Kennedy, Vinnie Colgan, Michael McNabb, Sam Spratt and Masa Hushizumi. Uh, All the jockeys are once again very complimentary of the track, especially considering the Ellerslie region has seen 43 millimetres of rain. Over the weekend, you wouldn't know we've had any rain. It's drained exceptionally well, said Kennedy. And when you walk on the track, it feels firm underfoot, but has a really good spring when the horses are on it. Spratt, who said the new track felt a touch firm last weekend, said the rain had improved the surface and it was great to ride on. And Vinnie Colgan was blown away by how the track performed, considering the amount of rain over the weekend. I'm just really impressed with the surface after 43 millions of rain, he commented. And it feels so safe, perfect. ATR manager Craig Baker was pleased with the outcome of the gallop, the 43 millimetres of rain we've had since Friday came at exactly the right time and it gave the track the opportunity to highlight one of its key virtues, which is drainage. The fact that we have had so much rain in the track was a good fall this morning is testament to its ability to drain. We now push on with the confidence to jump outs, then trials next month. Phase three of the return to racing protocols will see jump outs take place early next month, followed by... Um, the fourth and final phase of having official trials also scheduled for December. If that happens, of course, and that's why we opened up with Tokyo Tycoon, is ex- uh, Alice expected to be open uh, with its first meeting in January. And, uh, of course, then we will head to the Karaka Millions meeting uh, on January the 27th. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Alice good news coming in from uh, everyone involved down there who have ridden lately uh, with horses over there. It sounds, sounds brilliant. The horses are bouncing off the track. If you have a look at the futures, uh, they've actually got three races, I think, for the Cracker Millions because they've added a four-year-old race there um, as well this year, which will be interesting with all of our, our champions from last year going there. The three-year-olds uh, at the moment, Molly Bloom has got $4 favouritism there after that win down in Christchurch on Saturday. And, of course, our four-year-olds with the likes of Legado, Prowess, uh, Adam I Am, all being futured in there between four and te- four dollars and ten bucks. Of course, two dollars. Our two-year-olds, our young, our young purchases at the the yearly su- yearling sales run around um, as well. Come January the twenty-seventh. So, like we said yesterday, Rick, if they uh, if they get that right and they open, yeah. I can see uh, January twenty-seventh being sold out for Ellerslie 
down there uh, for Caracamillion's Day and be a fantastic day uh, for us all to go to. We'll try and get there to that one because uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to get back to Alice. It's so close to home and and uh, you can grab your mates to just get around there. So grab your mates, get on course, visit events.loveracing.nz to find a race day near you. Yeah, good stuff, Kempe. That'll be a magic day uh, back at Ellerslie for the Karaka Million. If we can pull that off, it is eight away from seven. 0800 150 811 is our number, or double eight double three. Keep the text rolling through. We're three away from seven. Uh, this one's interesting, Kimpy, from Kevin. My question is, how long do you give a promising coach to become a first-grade coach? You need to stop investing at a certain point. Well, yes and no. Like, I, I hear what you're saying. You want you want to see coaches progress all the time. But in Wayne, in Wayne Bennett's um, instance, like, He's been around. Like I remember, what was I? I was fifteen when I first saw him coaching down in Canberra. Yeah, yeah. It's thirty-five years ago. Thirty-five yeah, thirty-five odd years ago. Is that right? Forty yeah, about that. Um, Give or take. And and like he's still, you know, he's still in that in that realm. Other other coaches don't even get a they don't even get a year or two years. Mm. Um, so I th- I think that one is like how long is a piece of string. I think with New Zealand coaches, it's a little bit different, Rick, because you don't have too many New Zealand coaches that get too many opportunities when there's only 17 franchises. And again, that's my point around the Australians promoting Australians. You know, like with the New Zealand coaching job, that should be for Kiwis because they've got such limited opportunities. So you're basically just taking another limited opportunity off a Kiwi coach from progressing because the pathway for a Kiwi coach should be coach the Kiwis and then coach into the NRL, as opposed to, well, let's see how good you go into the NRL, and then you get a New South Wales-Queensland job and into the Australian side. you know. And, and because Madge Maguire is an assistant coach, he's been able to pick up, because you know, he's won a premiership, the New Zealand job, and been able to continue his Australian pathway through the New Zealand system. And that's my point. My point is, well, what about our coaches? Well, do, do you think, like... T- that's it's a limited pool, like you said, seventeen franchises, right? Yeah, seventeen clubs. Uh, we don't have a domestic competition that, nope. that that measures up to anything. Should New Zealand Rugby League form more of a partnership with English Rugby League and and start putting our coaches up there to learn the trade and coach week in week out in a competition that has acted as a feeder for coaches and for players into the NRL? There there are a number of Kiwi coaches up in in Super League. Um, to be Brutally honest, mm. I think the I think the answer is we become the third state, get treated like Queensland, New South Wales, um, get the same funding from the NRL, the same opportunities, the same schooling um, opportunities, competitions and pathways, and and we have Queensland Cup, New South Wales Cup, there should be New Zealand Cup, you know, you know what I mean, and yep. it just makes total sense run by the NRL. There you go. So, so that gives everyone opportunities, and uh, unfortunately, we just you know we can't see through the forest. Mm. All right, there you go. Uh, we have the latest in news from Araharo right now. Thanks to Kubota. Kubota's in-stock catalogue is out now. Good morning. It is three past seven on Izzy and Kempi for breakfast. Welcome into the Shoulders Tradies Hour with Night and Day. Start your morning with a hell of a coffee from just $4.50 at your local Night and Day. Coming up on the show, we are going to catch up with Jeff Parks, a Kiwi who writes rugby out of Melbourne in Australia. He's got a lot to say about Hamish McLennan and Rugby Australia and where to from here. Paul Mawadi from the TAB and Niall Williams-Guthrie as well on signing for the Blues and uh, switching between league and union. Be great to get her take on all of that. Sione Famawina.
is uh, joining us shortly as well. We're going to talk to him about his new show and about his time in rugby league. And uh, another text that has come through on double eight double three, Kempi is. Uh, morning, guys. To bring meaning back to NRL contracts, should there be a rule that players who request an early release on compassionate grounds can only earn a reduced value, i.e. Uh, 0% of their current deal? Mm. From Cam, now, I, I don't think you can have a player go and earn nothing to play football no. for someone else, but I think what Cam means is, we've seen it in the past with guys like Matt Lodge, where he's left here, gone to Aussie, and I can't remember if he went to Manly or the Roosters first, but whichever one it was, uh, and then the Warriors are still paying part of his salary. It's like, basically, if you leave, then this club has to, doesn't have to pay you anything, and you, that's all on you to go and earn that coin. And you get and you get your salary cap um, back. Yeah. You know I what I mean? So that you can actually go and purchase and, and try and fix up the big hole that it's been left. I, I totally agree. I think you can't just continually... Um, continually pandered to the players because they say they, they want to go on compassionate leave. Well, they have some compassionate um, for the club that actually loses the talent and the opportunity to win a competition. Yeah. Now, uh, we also had uh, a couple of other texts come through. This one from Justin Kempe. Back in the day, were you against Daniel Anderson taking on the Kiwis job? Yes. Yes, I was, Justin. And I've never ever told this story, but I actually was going to lose my Warriors job because I said to the CEO that I wanted the Kiwis job and I should have it before Daniel Anderson. And uh, the, the CEO at the time said to me, "If you if you stand against Endo, you won't have a job here." Right, interesting. Yeah, so look at, looking after their their number one coach because, but, but what you were saying, but I was coach with Endo, yeah. So me and him did everything together. This yeah. is again nothing against Endo. I was so strong on, hey, that's my pathway. That's my pathway. I'm not going into a New South Wales job. Um, I had a shot at the Kiwi job. And and I was putting in my resume, and I was, and I said to the CEO, "But this is my pathway. I've gone a pathway through my New Zealand system." If if it's about structure and it's about coaches coaching coaches, right, to 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 bring the next level through, if Madge McGuire wasn't going to do the New South Wales job, would you be okay with him heading up that structure for New Zealand Rugby League if it's put in place what you're talking about? Uh as, so a, as getting, a football director. So he would be just committed to New Zealand Rugby League, not doing New South Wales at all. And coaching New Zealand. And coaching New Zealand. I th- no, look, I think, there's a, I think there's a position. I'm not saying that there's no position for an Australian inside the structure. Yeah. But the structure should be around Kiwi coaching um, in its entirety and how you get there. And this is the Wayne Bennett scenario. Wayne Bennett, yes, he helped um, Stephen Cooney with the Kiwis in 2008. I know that because I was a part of that structure. Yeah. He didn't He didn't do all the coaching. Stephen Kearney did all that. You know, he had Wayne as a, as a sounding board about how they were going to do things and Wayne added his immense amount of um, experience and mana to a group of players that bought into the structure and they went out there and won the World Cup. I think there is a place for that. Now, because... What's happened is over the years, we actually, and people, have, they know this, you just don't have the cavalry, you don't have the depth. Well, of course we don't because we don't have the pathway and we get it taken off us by a national body that is not able to run a, run any type of structure like this because they're not able to see past the, their own nose. And until we can actually bite the bullet and say, well, we want to promote our own through our own pathways – um, and stop taking those opportunities off them, we're always going to be in that position and we're always going to fill them with Australians because we've got no choice. Now, we have a choice. 
We either have a choice to say, right, we're going to rebuild it, because that's my job as CEO yeah. and chairman is to rebuild the game in this country, not sit there and take salaries and do nothing. Um, or we just continually go and get, well, we're going to get the next Aussie coach. We're going to get an, we're going to get an Aussie. Like, it, it's not fixing anything. What about in terms of the, uh, I mean, I guess you, you've, you've touched on it here, but to develop coaches, they have to have teams to coach. And domestically, we don't have a competition that's fit for purpose at the moment. How do you see the fix for that going forward so that we have something that, I guess, equates New South Wales Cup, Queensland Cup? Uh, then, so this is two-pronged, okay? So, so one is to go down the NRL Avenue and become New South Wales, Queensland, New Zealand. So yep. you have Queensland Cup, New South Wales Cup, New Zealand Cup, and then you have Jersey Flag, Harold Matthews, uh, and New Zealand is exactly the same. So that's one prong. But the second prong to that is when you have Jersey Matthews, Harold, Harold, Harold Ball, and all that sort of stuff, yeah. it goes to the Warriors. So you've got three different organisations in New Zealand that just can't seem to get on, which is the Warriors that have signed uh, the the Warriors that are, are signed with the NRL and they're the franchise, so they get all the all of that. Um, Harold the juniors and the SG and the second team and all that. Yeah, and then you've got the Auckland Rugby League. They go, well, we're going to go to Manly, and they they can run their own big competition here. They're fifty two percent of the New Zealand game, and then you've got the New Zealand Rugby League that don't even have national competitions. You know what I mean? Yeah, we get we get. I'll tell you how this works in New Zealand. So I'm I'm eighteen year old and I want to go to an eighteen year old tournament. A Facebook post gets put up by a zone that doesn't work in the country. Who, who, who an absolutely failed system to say, come and play for your zone. So there's no mana in Taranaki jerseys anymore. There's no mana in a Manawatu jersey, a Hawks Bay jersey, because there's no competitions at that age group that go there. So kids just go along and they play in tournaments. So any kids can show up, they can trial, then they get to go to a tournament. And then what happens then is that the 17 NRL clubs come in and they pick the eyes out of it and take all of those players over to Australia and put them in their system. Kibra Highs, Corumban, uh, um, down at, down at um, uh, Western Sydney. And then they go through that pathway and they end up playing Jersey, Harold, uh, New South Wales or Queensland Cup into the NRL system. Well, we don't do any of that. You know, if, unless you were the Warriors, you get that chance. Warriors just had their, you know, we've heard Cam George come on and say that. Uh, we had 1,200 kids that want to play for the Warriors in those junior grades. It's twelve. It's not twelve hundred kids that come out of competitions. It's twelve hundred kids that have signed a form because they put an ad on a, on a on a website and said, "Come along and sign up to play in this tournament, and we'll pick the eyes out of it and try and pick twenty five of the best kids to go and play in a comp." See, that's not doing anything for the game in our country. Our country for juniors. So at my club down in Waitara, for instance, we have age group football from six through to twelves, but we can't get anything above that because there's no competitions there's no depth there's nothing being done by the national body by the zones um, and then they run these tournaments and saying you know I, the game's growing no your tournaments are growing your weekly tournaments are growing and it's just a, um, a, a filter into the NRL what needs to happen and going back to the coaching um, question is if we're going to build really good players that want to wear the black jersey it actually starts with coaching. Forget about anything else. Yeah. It actually starts with coaching. If we can coach our coaches to play, all right, and coaches build that culture and that, 
then they start to create competitions and then they start to create this opportunity for kids to become a better player and 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 clubs wanting to leave them here in New Zealand to play. And unfortunately for for us, we just don't do that. So I know this is a this is a, um, sort of taking a different approach or, or maybe even a different conversation. But what about then this 18th franchise they're talking about for the NRL? A lot of talk that it's going to go to PNG, um, probably be based somewhere in Queensland, but play some games in PNG. Can New Zealand support another NRL franchise, and would that help with what you're talking about? One hundred percent. Yeah, and see, on the back of on the back of this um, argument, Rick, is the NRL, who know what New Zealand mean to the competition, who know, and I've had this conversation with Abdo. He knows the importance of recruitment out of New Zealand for the NRL, and and you just you you're not you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see from the 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 mid eighties to two thousand and twenty three the amount of kids in in um, New, with New Zealand heritage that now play through that competition. Yes, and some of them go over there and, and they, they set up their, their, their Kiwis and they set up in Australia because their parents go and work there. Um, but not all of them. There's between 500 and 1,000 kids every single year that go to Australia to play rugby league. Yep. And how do you know that? Because it's a transfer system. They have to transfer out of the national body to go to these clubs. What they need to do is they need to come into this country the NRL, and they need to say, well, you're actually part of the NRL model. You know, we, the, we've had this argument with the NRL for years to say, you should be funding us. The question isn't, you should, should be funding us. The question is, how can we become a part of the NRL structure, yeah. which is really good for the game, the whole game in New Zealand? Not a national office saying, give us more money. Yeah, give us more money so we can hire more people to do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It should be, how do we become part of your structure where you look after the whole country, not a national office? Yeah, all right, Kempi. Well said, mate. Well said. Uh, your thoughts on that double eight, double three. Joining us now uh, to talk uh, rugby league and to talk his new show as well is Sione Farmawena. Good morning to you, sir, and welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, Sione. Thanks for coming in, mate. Just quickly, you, you've um, a lot of people would have seen your socials, and you've got this this pilot happening called Unspoken, and they saw the work that you did with Manu Vatave, um just recently. Can you just tell us a little bit about that and how that all came about? Uh, yeah, man. It's um, so obviously I did a uh, interview with with Manu um, under uh, Unspoken, and how it all came about was. I was just speaking with with one of my mates down at Lutzerua, and he was like, "Man, you should you should do a podcast." And I said, "Nah, man, I, everyone's doing a podcast." And he goes, "Oh, you should do you should do something that uh, that gets to you know speak with other athletes or former athletes, and and um, you know because there's nothing really like that out there." So, to cut a, a long story short, Unspoken was born. Uh, I interviewed Manu. And then now it's sort of gone into another iteration of it where it's almost like a mini doco style. So I'm producing this pilot, um, which I obviously had to say, you know, big thanks to you, Kimby, for obviously jumping on and being part of that. And um, yeah, yeah. So looking forward to, to releasing that uh, very soon. And and just tell us about the motivation, mate. Like, it, it's uh, you, you think a, a type of documentary like that through sport is needed, and 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 what what is the motivation to to get these messages out? Man, that's a that's an awesome question, Kimpy. The motivation behind it, 
and if you know if I use my own personal story is that um, I wanted to create a platform where where athletes could share their unspoken you know their truth things that uh, people probably wouldn't know about them you know uh, obviously I had um, you know my fair share of negative headlines throughout my career but that was it there was no I didn't have an opportunity to share my side so that's that's the crust of of, of unspoken is saying hey you know what this is what you've read and, and seen about me I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you straight from my mouth you know, like mm. um, my side, and so that, that that's that's sort of where, where it's at, especially in a country like New Zealand, bro. And you know as well as I do, Kimpy, it's you know the media, the tall poppy syndrome here in New Zealand is is, is pretty rife. So I think uh, a platform, a format like this, is definitely needed for our athletes. And um, yeah, I just happen to be the first cab off the rank after <laughs> this format. And say, hey, you know what? Let me let me jump in first and and uh, and see how it goes. What have you learned about yourself from from doing this, Yoni? Because you know you've you've been in the media a little bit recently. I saw you did Monty's, uh, you know, once was Warrior uh, show. You also yeah. did the uh, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Where you all get together and get fit again and stuff as well. So uh, you've been on yeah. a bit of a journey in, in the spotlight too. You know, uh, uh, to to a fair extent to get you here. What have you learned in that time? Man, if there's anything that I've learned, um, is that this whole journey uh, that I'm on, it's it's a healing journey. Um, and so being on Match Fit, you know, jumping back in, in the spotlight here in New Zealand, you know, doing Monty's, uh, all of that, I've put it down to, is, is, is still part of my healing journey. But in order for me to, I guess, to put to bed some things, I needed to share my side of the story. And that's a journey that I think it never ends. Um, you know, uh, obviously 20 years ago when I was a young professional rugby league player, uh, I can look back and, and try and pull out some of the lessons that, that, that I learned throughout that. But ultimately, it's, it's just getting our, our athletes uh, to share their, their story, their truth. Yeah, and just on the, the unspoken, it should be actually outspoken because it's a chance to, to, to break down some doors and, and actually tell your side of the story. Why, why do you think that's important, Sione, that you know, both, both sides of a coin um, need to be seen? It's important because it provides context. Um, you know, if, if the subject of the media is an, uh, this person, and then that person doesn't have an opportunity to respond or, or add context to that, that's that's what this that's what unspoken uh, was was born out of uh, is is to provide another context to you know what a narrative has been created um, outside of their control. So that's why I think it's important. So you know when I did Fight for Life and Dean Lonergan introduced me, um, he told a story about hey you know this next guy that that's fighting. I've spoken to people at the Warriors, people in North Queensland, people over in the UK, and they said he's, a, he's, he's mad. But he hasn't heard my side of the story. Right? So he's taken <laughs> that from other people's perspective. Where this is bloody 20 years ago. And I was looking at Dean, and I was like, mate, I'm, I'm right here. I'm sitting right here. Like, <laughs> I, 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 tend to, I tend to say that. Um, I actually said that this morning when someone was saying about the coaching thing. Like, mate, that was that was twenty years ago. You you guys don't really uh, you don't know a person unless you you talk, sit down and talk to them and, and really get to the the I guess the depths of 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 that person and who they are. 
And and your experiences, Sionet, when you're when you're you're talking to people now about history, you know, about mm. stuff that's been and done, um, that message I, I guess we spoke about it yesterday for younger generations coming through and um, do you see it as a, an opportunity not only to learn but to heal? Oh, 100% can be, uh, you know, definitely. And, you know, one of the things that, that you shared yesterday was around, you know, trauma as a, as a young child, right? And so I've sort of shared a message around. So I had all the stuff going on when I was a kid, got to teenage years, and then when I, when I jumped into first grade and became a professional athlete, I hadn't really dealt with those issues. So what, what happened is I come into NRL, in the media, everything's going well, but what that did was it, it almost uh, like hid <laughs> the stuff mm. that I hadn't dealt with. And then it came to that point where I made a mistake and then all those issues were, um, uh, what do you call it, were almost like magnified, right? So my drinking, all of that stuff, it, it almost magnified 10 times because of the environment that I was in as a professional athlete. And so for me, it was being able to, to share my narrative so that anyone else that's coming through the ranks or, or maybe in a similar situation to I was back then, if they've, if they've watched this or if they've read something or seen something based around unspoken, they're like, oh, hey, actually, this, okay, Sean spoke about that. This is I'm about to start this journey cool, I can take something away from it. So, um, yeah, I 100% agree with you, Kempi. It is, is definitely um, all around that healing. Sione, in, in terms of where clubs are at now versus where they were at when you came into the game, do you think they're, they're better at equipping young athletes to deal with this sort of stuff? Because, you know, one of the things that I've talked to several guys about post-career is a loss of identity as well, you know. You are you are Suoni Famawena, the rugby league player. You are Suoni Famawena, the Warriors star. All of a sudden, who are you when, when you're not doing that anymore? Uh, I, I think clubs in general uh, are trying their best. Um, you know, 20 years ago when I was at the club with Kempi, we didn't have anything called a well-being manager or education welfare officer. Like, you know, all those spells are unheard of. So, but, you know, every NRL club now has, has those roles and, and, and the role of those people is to, is to assist um, players with their off-field um, endeavours. Uh, but at the end of the day, it, 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 the players still have to take some sort of ownership. Um, but it's hard, man. It's hard. It's hard to think about life after 40 when you're 24, 25, even when you start to come towards the back end of your career. You know, there's one of one of my mates that I grew up with at school. I'm not going to name him, but he's still playing now professionally at 41 years of age. <laughs> you know, is, is that something that's like, mate, I, I don't know what I want to do. That's why I'm, I'm still playing. You know, it's, it's, it's such a hard transition because... People don't realize it's a dream job and then it's taken away from you, right? And if, and it's so hard to try and prepare. And what most athletes do is they they, they hide. They don't want to accept the fact that it's going to end. So they carry on living and playing as a professional athlete without preparing for life after sport because it, it, it's so hard. Siani, I just want to ask you a question. Um, so you've decided, you know, you, you that at the... 
at the end of the day, after going through the journey that you've gone through and and come clean and, and decided, well, man, this is bigger than, than even what I thought, and now I'm, I'm going to get people to, to come out and, and support me, how hard has it been to get people to actually be open and honest with you on a on a pilot which you've called unspoken? Uh, if I'm being if I'm being totally honest, can be it hasn't been as hard as I thought, and I think that comes down to me being so vulnerable and open uh, across social media. And so, you know, a lot of current athletes follow me and former athletes. So when they've seen me, you know, on social media, share what I share, share my story, um, I think it relates. Um, they can definitely relate to it. And so when I sat down with Manu, and people commented um, after the interview, would come up to me and say, man, I don't think anyone could have uh, asked those questions that you asked to Manu and, uh, and Manu answer. And that's because... Um, I, I think I connect with a lot of our athletes. Um, but like you said, Kimpy, it is a healing um, for, I, I find it is quite a healing process when you're able to, to be vulnerable and share some of your story that people wouldn't know about. Uh, but the beauty in that vulnerability is that there's power in that, right? Healing power and, um, and the power to impact positively in other people's lives. Uh, Sione, where can we see Unspoken, and how long to you? To, uh, how long to you rolling out more of these uh, episodes? Oh, mate, uh, I, I could have given you a definite date uh, yesterday, but after uh, you know we spoke off Kempi, mate, there's so much editing that has to go. Nah, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> after the, after the that's why. That's why like, I said oh, it should mate. be called Unspoken, <laughs> outspoken. outspoken. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So it's uh, it's due to release uh, early Jan. So um, so we've just um, I've got a couple more film days, and then uh, yeah, we'll be uh, getting it ready for uh, early Jan. Sweet, and that's going to be on Sky, is it? Or yeah, that's going to be on Sky. Beautiful, Sioni. Hey, listen, man, I really appreciate your time this morning. Keep up the good work, man. I really enjoyed uh, that slot you did with uh, Manu. I, I can't wait to, to see how you managed to edit around Kempi's answers. Uh, <laughs> and we can watch that uh, come, come January, bro. Keep up the good work, man, and have a great Christmas if we don't speak to you before then, eh? All right, cheers. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Cheers, Sione. Yes. Sione there with us. It is 7.26 here on Izzy and Kempe for breakfast. Need a new mobile plan? Visit Kogan Mobile. You're listening to Izzy and Kempe for breakfast. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse, keeping you healthy this spring. 26 away from 8 o'clock on SENZ. Izzy and Kempe for breakfast. Kennard's Hire makes your job easier. Kennard's Kennards.co.nz, I should say. Uh, let's have a look at some uh, sports news headlines. And uh, how's this? Lionel Messi, the maestro of the football world, is set to make waves beyond the pitch as six of his iconic jerseys worn during the 2022 Football World Cup journey go up for auction. The memorabilia is in a race against Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls jersey for a record price. Now, Sotheby's in England. Uh, facilitating the sale of the match-worn shirts. Includes jerseys from the final against France, the semi-final with Croatia, the quarter-final against the Netherlands, the round of 16 game against the Aussies, and two of their group games as well. The bids open between November 30 and December 14. It's anticipated that it's going to fetch uh, estimated around eight to Eight million pounds, about ten million US dollars, is what they're saying. I would have thought they're way more than that. Yeah, well, that, well, it'd be interesting to see where it does go because um, 
a lot of it's going to go towards charitable causes. That's what he's doing it for. It's, it's kind of basically mm. he's donating the jerseys so the money can go to charity. Uh, the current record for sports memorabilia stands at £8.1 million, and that is held by Michael Jordan's iconic Chicago Bulls jersey from Game 1 of the 98 NBA Finals. For one jersey. That's for one jersey. Mm. What do you reckon? Messi's jersey from the final. Go for I adopt. I'd say you'd have to go for something around that. Where people have got a benchmark, you know, for Jordan because Messi's, you know, Messi's still playing. Yeah, you got to think that that jersey, well, in another twenty years' time, would be worth a bit more than that. Um, seems that people will look back at it and go, "That was a great Lionel Messi." Yeah, well, I mean, I'm looking back to um, you know the Hand of God incident yep. when Diego Maradona in England. Yep. So, a guy called Steve Hodge, who was England midfielder in that game. Basically, most of the England players didn't want to bar a Madonna after, uh, Maradona after that game, or Madonna probably. He went and got uh, the jersey. But he, he went and got the jersey, right? He swapped jerseys with him. He had to hide it, he said, because Peter Shilton, the goalkeeper, would have torn it up because he was so <laughs> filthy about the hand of God. So he had to hide it. Uh, but he sold that last year, I think, and that made £7.1 million. Pounds. There you go. At, at auction. And they wanted to rip that one up when it was when it was yeah, worn but, by Maradona. Yeah, because of the hand of God incident that knocked England out of that World Cup. Um, yeah. Well, I th- I'd, see, I think um, Messi would probably be regarded better than Maradona, um, you know, and if you've got a jersey, like what the, the winning grand final jersey of, of um, Messi, and what was that, when was that final, that World Cup final, 81? 86. 86. Um, yeah, well, just think, you know, 2043, it's got to be worth Got to be worth more. Twice that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. That's an interesting one, mate. Uh, now, the Cricket World Cup, how's this? They've, they've announced a team of the, a tournament, and um, Travis Head's not in it. The bloke that had 137 <laughs> in the final. Uh, this is the team of the tournament. Quinton de Kock from South Africa, Rohit Sharma from India. Then Virat Kohli. Daryl Mitchell's made the team, which I thought was interesting. Mm. I mean, not saying they had a bad tournament, but I thought Rachid Ravindra would have been more likely. Yeah. But Rachid didn't make the team. Kale Rahul, uh, Glenn Maxwell, Ravindra D- uh, Jadeja, Jasper Bumrah, Dilshan Marashanka from Sri Lanka, Adam Zampa from Aussie, and Mahmoud Shami from India. That was the 11. Gerald Kutsia from South Africa was the name of the 12th man. So there are only two Aussies made the team, and they won the World Cup. Somehow six Indians made it, though. Yeah. I wonder who's voting on this. That's exactly right. Mm. Who picked that? Who picked that? Yeah. And then uh, the sad news that I know Araha has covered this, but uh, former Springbok lock Hannes Thraitham has died in a car accident. Uh, South African rugby has confirmed he's the fifth player from the victorious 1995 World Cup team to pass away. 58-year-old uh, died in a car accident, played 21 tests between 93 and 97. He started the 95 final uh, where they beat the All Blacks 15-12 to take the crown at Alice mm, Park. Yes, that's well. very sad. Sad news this morning about the passing. Um, yeah, it's a sort of a bit like that these days, isn't it, Rick? You know, 95, you think, was just around the corner. It was quite a while ago. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a few that have that have, that have have gone from that team now, unfortunately. And, it, you know, 95 doesn't feel that long ago. No. You know, people say to me 20 years ago, and I still kind of think, oh, you know, somewhere in the 80s. But 20 years ago was 2003. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Twenty years ago was two thousand and three. That was uh, when me and Sony were talking about. That was one game away from the grand final, losing to Penrith twenty years ago. Um, Nineteen ninety five was uh, twenty four hours away from Jonah Lomu playing next to me in a Leeds jersey. Really? Wow, real close. Very close. Sit, sitting having lunch. Well, that was the same. Day, that same day, uh, rugby union went professional. 
Right. So he'd signed his Leeds contract and rugby went professional the same day. And uh, he, he did a backflip. Mm, interesting. I didn't know that story. Mm. There you go. There you go. Ken Tire makes your job easy. Uh, talk to someone who has taken the Kenoth today. It is 21 away from 8. We'll get to your texts, your calls, and a bit of uh, two truths and a lie as well after this. Double eight double three is the Temper Bedpost text line, and uh, we want to hear from you on that. 16 away from 8. It is uh, Tradies Hour with Night and Day. Start your morning with a hell of a coffee from just $4.50 at your local Night and Day. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, Kempe, uh, there's been a few texts, a few replies to uh, to what you've been saying. Uh, guys, great points. I'll go one step further. This word pathways is important, but in New Zealand it's old or ex-players and mates networks. Look at Foster, a classic example of a person so far out of their depth it wasn't funny. Who endorsed him is mate King Hansen. The damage Foster has done is recoverable thanks to Razor's appointment and he's been head coach, assistant coach of all grades. These guys are super coaching Wayne Bennett, Steve Hansen, Razor, Robinson, Billy Slater, Ivan Cleary. For me, what sets those five apart from the rest is they have incredible man management skills, but their gem is that they have no game inside out and are all alphas. Hang in there, Kempe. I love your truth. Never give up, mate. And I say, uh, told you so. And never say, I told you so. That's from Dean. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, don't worry, don't worry, Dean. I'm always going to talk my mind, mate. It's a, it don't matter. People are entitled to opinions. They're like something else we've all got. Um, so you've got to take it take it, and you've got to be able to, to, to take it um, as well as give it. And I think I think with that, like I, 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 one thing I do agree with Dean on that is this old boys mentality about promoting mates. Um, I'm not I'm not a big fan of that. Not at all. You know, like if if you're good enough for the job, yeah, fair enough. Then then you're good enough to get the job. But promoting your mates because they get, they all agree on a, on a, on the same thing makes it makes your job a hell of a lot easier. Isn't actually what you want. You want to be challenged. You want to you want to actually innovate. You want to you want to you know get get to a position where you're actually leading the thinking as opposed to being a follower and walking in someone else's footsteps. Um, and I see that with sport all the time. I see that with sport all the time. You know, someone gets put in a position and oh, I'm going to go and get my two mates are going to sit in there and they're going to select teams with me. And selection is a massive issue, all right? And I get I, get, I talk to parents and, and people all the time about my son or, or this was, was just left out of that side because this coach and his selectors picked their whole club team, you know? It, it just doesn't resonate there. It actually resonates right at the top level as well. So um, I hear what you're saying, Dino. I think, I think you know, the question we've got here when we're talking around pathways is what is a pathway? In New Zealand and rugby league, we actually don't have them. Well, this is interesting from Paul. He's involved in grassroots rugby league in Northland. He said, 100% Kempe have been involved in running league at a local level. I've never seen such a fractured game on a national level between regions and zones. Up here in Northland, the game is booming, but we have two organisations that can't agree. The game has always been held back by egos, although there are some fantastic people involved in the game too. It's time to scrap the zone structure. I agree. Let's get the NRL involved as the NZRL have been a basket case for too long from Paul. And and see, Paul's in the game, um, and that, that that is a common conversation throughout the country with people that are actually in the game. But, you know, there's one thing, what you're up against is you're up against Sport New Zealand. Like the, 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 the people at fault here aren't actually the NZRL. 
the people at fault here are the government and Sport New Zealand that continually run a, to run a model in rugby league that is outdated and in, in, in respect dictatorial. No other Sport New Zealand has been told that they have to run the zone model. They've all gone about it. You know, um, I can, could you imagine these guys down the, down the, down the road here, yeah. New Zealand Rugby Union, saying, actually, we've got to scrap all the provinces. We're going to run a zone model. And you four provinces have now got one vote. Do you think that would work? No. Do you think that would actually happen? No. No, well, rugby league's been told that you've got no choice. And because of that, you've got this fractured model that Paul talks about. And and people in rugby league know exactly what I'm talking about, um, which is unfortunate because a lot of people don't understand rugby league in this country that are commenting on on these positions. So um, is it fixable is the question, Rick? Can it be fixed? Uh, the, The simple answer is yes, how is it fixed? Well, Sport New Zealand actually have to make that decision. They have to actually go back in, like they did in 2008, and stand the board down. And they have to reinstate the game back to its rightful owners, which are the provinces, which is what Paul's talking about. It's run by fantastic people who do a fantastic job with two organisations, the Zones and the NZRL, that just keep holding them back and don't give them anything. All right, it is 11 away from 8 o'clock. It is time to do this. To celebrate the Chemist Warehouse at Black Friday sale, we've got balanced protein prize packs valued at over $150 to give away. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse and their friends at Balance, it is two truths, one lie. Well, I started today with um, just giving you a little bit of my history on my coaching career, and uh, it just wasn't in rugby league. Uh, you know, a while ago, I, I decided to, to get into medicine and uh, sat for a functional medicine health coach uh, diploma, um, which is an American accreditation, and did a couple of years and got that. So uh, I'm a recognised functional medicine health coach. All right, there you go. That is Kempe's Two truths, one lie. You need to tell us who is telling the lie, double eight, double three. Robbie? My story this morning uh, is that I once had lunch with the Black Caps, New Zealand cricket team. You had a bowl of lollies with the Black Caps is what you told me. (laughs) Yeah, well. Yeah. You like lollies, eh? You like lollies and coke. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, There was chicken there too. There was was chicken. There you go. All right, a bit of KFC too. All right, that's all good. Uh, And my story is that when I was a kid in Howick, I had a black and yellow BMX. It was a Cobra. Uh, pride and joy and uh, Wellington Street the uh, not the village end but the other end you get a bit decent run up about 100 metres and then there was a knitting mill and it had this bank with a <laughs> U-shaped driveway and you could hit the bank it was perfect ramp and we used to jump see if we could go from one driveway to the other uh, I didn't stand on the on the pegs one day uh, landed on the seat after the I jump I had a seat yeah and uh, ruptured a tes- testicle <laughs> Which wasn't much fun. I'll tell you that much for free. Who is telling the lie? Double eight, double three, $150 Balance Protein prize pack could be all yours thanks to Chemist Warehouse and their friends at Balance. We are nine away from eight o'clock. It is four away from eight o'clock here on SENZ. Izzy and Kempe for breakfast. Keep your texts rolling through on double eight, double three. It is, of course, tradies hour as well. With night and day, start your morning with a hell of a coffee from just $4.50. At your local night and day. Uh, Lots more texts coming through as well. Uh, Still getting over the hangover from the Cup Week, lads. I had some good collects. A few good bets for the lads tomorrow. uh, But one today, Rotorua Race 3 Marketplace. Cam from Cambridge. Yep, I had a look at that field, Cam. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty tidy field. Uh, You must have some bully on that marketplace. I'd be be keen to have a look at that if you've got... uh, 
you've got some uh, some inside information. Let us know, mate. Send us through another text and uh, tell us why you picked Marketplace because there's about four or five others just around that with the same money. Uh, hi, guys. Any tips for Rotorua races today? Yes, there you Barry. Go. We just gave you one. Marketplace. Uh, um, I like race two, number seven. And uh, that's for top four at $2.30. Yeah, race two, number seven today is Lady Grey. Um, it's a, a Bailey Rogerson um, trained horse. Yeah, it's it's decent money, top four. Yep, you'll get, uh, well, you wouldn't get money back. I'd, I'd wait. I'd wait and see. Um, have a, have a, keep having a listen to the show this morning. I think Cam's one is probably a better bet for you. And uh, Jerry has texted through, Kempi. I uh, can to get your thoughts on this. Lads, have you ever felt bad about getting paid? I have this lump of pay sitting in my <laughs> TAB account from a drunk multi I took. Panthers <laughs> to win the NRL, South Africa to win the Rugby World Cup, Australia to win the Cricket World Cup. It feels like dirty money from Jerry. Oh, that, that must have, So you've taken that a year ago. Yeah. Okay, because so you've got the Panthers in there to win the NRL, so that multi must have put on at least January we're talking about. Um, no. Not, not at, at all. all. <laughs> no. Not at all. In fact, if you want to do something, well, it's Movember. Just sum of it up to Movember. If you feel that bad about it, Jerry, yep, give it to charity. There you go. I hope that helps. It probably doesn't. It probably doesn't. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're here for you, my friend. We're here for you. Another text from Macca, um, and this has come through uh, previously when we were talking earlier about Madge Maguire and the Kiwis job. Uh, he's saying it's a typical Kiwi mentality that you beat Australia by a record score and then want to sack a top coach uh, to get an untried Kiwi coach. And top players don't always make good coaches or even average players. Would uh, rather listen to Hugh McGahn, who has some credibility. That is from Macca. I think, I think, I think that might be from Hugh, actually. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, look, look it's a... Uh, it, it, like I said, it's an opinion. Um, it's not based on on stuff that we we don't know as far as you know uh, winning games by thirty points. This is this is actually surrounding the game uh, entirety in New Zealand and what's best for the game, you know. And currently, what's best for the game is is not having an Australian coach that coaches New South Wales come back and coach the Kiwis because it's not what we ne- what's needed. That is your main point. Yeah. That is the main point is, uh, yeah, where is the priority when that happens, particularly with New South Wales players graduating to play in the Kangaroos jersey. Coming up in the next hour, Jeff Parks out of Melbourne, a Kiwi who lives there and writes rugby, will get his take on Hamish McLennan stepping down, Paul Mawadi from the TAB as well, and Noel Williams-Guthrie on signing for the Blues and code hopping between NRL and Super Rugby OPEC. We'll do all of that in the next hour. Right now here is Araha with the latest in news. Thanks to Kubota. Kubota's in-stock catalogue is out now. Morena, welcome into the show. It is four past eight on Izzy and Kempi for breakfast here on SENZ. Paul Mawati and Noel Guthrie-Williams still to come on the show in this hour. Right now, though, we're going to talk to uh, a man who is based out of Melbourne, originally started uh, his life here in New Zealand. He is a uh, an author, a journalist as well. He's written a book, A World in Conflict, The Global Battle for Rugby Supremacy, that was released uh, back in December 2017. His name is Jeff Parks. He joins us on the phone now to Melbourne. Uh, morning, Jeff. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, great. Thanks, guys. 
Uh, good to be on. Mate, uh, I was just reading in your bio, it says uh, your, your twin goals are achieving a single-figure golf handicap and owning a fast racehorse. Uh, how, how, uh, which one are you closest to, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, look, it's, both of them are uh, as far out of reach as they ever were. Actually, the golf's not too bad. I had a couple of months off being in uh, France at the World Cup. Uh, so I haven't come back too bad, but um, stubbornly uh, hanging around 13, uh, which is yeah a little bit far away from where I want to be. Uh, the racehorse, well, I've got a couple um, that I'm in, but um, yeah, they're uh, they're going about as well as Australian rugby's going, mate. Oh no, Jeff. Okay, here's a bit of advice. Uh, yep, move on, move on. Maybe look at harness racing. Um, <laughs> hey, look, we've been following. We've been following. What do you call it? The circus of Australian rugby um, throughout the, throughout the year. Uh, you know, you've had a you've had a New Zealand CEO in Raylene Castle there, um, who was shifted on by a pretty powerful group of, of ex-players with the with the chairman. And once again, it looks like the same thing has happened again. Where do you see the state of Australian rugby? Is it a good move? Um, with removing Hamish McLennan? Yes. Uh, yeah, well, look, I mean, you call it a circus. I don't know, can, can Australian rugby, it, it seems like it can't figure out if it's a circus or a shit show. You know, that's really where we're at. <laughs> And, um, you know, we laugh about it, but it, it's very frustrating and it's bad for New Zealand, of course, as well. And, uh, you know, everyone wants Australian rugby to get its house in order and it's, it just seems incapable of doing so. And, and so is this move the start of, you know, being able to do that? And you'd have to say that potentially it is. So Hamish McLennan is, in the last three years, he's, he's been a personality that's just been difficult for everyone to uh, to work with and I'd certainly put New Zealand rugby in that basket as well. So there'd be a lot of people woken up yesterday thinking, well, this is a chance to clear the slate and uh, and start again uh, with, you know, take the personalities out of it, take some of the crazy decision-making out of it and, uh, and move forward. So from that element, uh, yes, it's potentially a good move, uh, but there are concerns attached with it too. Jeff, a question for you, because I, I, I look at this uh, and think, if New Zealand rugby don't like working with somebody, uh, particularly out of Australia, then generally that's because that person is doing what's best for Australian rugby. Um, is that, do you think, the case, or was he just doing what was best for Hamish? Yeah, I think it's more the second one. And, you know, he's a very unusual personality. Uh, you know, some would say narcissistic and, and, and very you know, self-centred and everything was around him. And, you know, I think the comparison, if you look at the chair of New Zealand rugby, um, you know, it's a more traditional arrangement where, where you've got the CEO as the one in the public eye making uh, the decisions and, and the chair, chairperson's in the background. And, you know, imagine Dame Patsy reading in New Zealand, being in the news every second day, coming out saying, look, I'm targeting... Uh, Dallin Watini Zalesniak for the All Blacks on the wing or I'm going to bring Graham Henry back as coach. You know, it's just ridiculous. It wouldn't mm. happen. But but that has, that is what's been happening in Australia. And, and at the end of the day, people just got sick of it and, uh, and, and it, it was 
it wouldn't be so bad if some of those decisions were sound and they worked. But, you know, you just played that clip of Australia getting smacked by Wales at the World Cup. And, uh, you know, it was humiliating. I was there that night and uh, it was an awful night. You know, it was just just a terrible thing to witness that second half. And, and people have just had enough of it. And so that's why we saw the states, some of the states, uh, band together and, and force McLennan out. When, when you're talking about banding together, because it, at the at the pinnacle you're talking about your Wallabies side, but what about grassroots and and centralising um, your system? And and it's it's it looks a, a very similar to the the same problems that New Zealand have uh, at the moment. Do you, do you think that both countries could learn from each other um, currently with what's going on? Yeah, no, no question about that. And, and that comes up frequently in Australia. You know, it's like, let's look at what New Zealand's doing, uh, what works there. Uh, and then, you know, let's look at what Ireland does, because clearly uh, the way they centralise their rugby, that's worked for them. Um, but it's not as simple as that, right? So Australia has some particular uh, issues and and things in the landscape that make it more difficult for Australia. Than, uh, and and the, the main one is that the, the concentration of rugby players and interest is just in two cities, and mostly in Sydney and Brisbane. And everyone wants a national competition, but that's very hard when you've got everyone concentrated in two main states. And, and then you've got the issue of rugby league and AFL and soccer taking talent, and particularly rugby league, and they not only talent, they draw the money, the sponsorship money. So you know, rugby's number one sport in New Zealand. It's a totally different uh, landscape. So there are challenges for Australian rugby that are more difficult than anywhere else, uh, but the problem is they just never come to grips with it, and they've never solved the fundamental structural issues about how they govern the game and who has the power. Is there going to be an independent board or do we just leave it traditionally for the two big states to run the game? And then when that happens, they start fighting and no one trusts each other and it's a real old school amateur setup. And until they figure that piece out, it doesn't matter who the chairman is or it doesn't matter who the coach of the Wallabies is. And, and yeah, you're right. It also means that they're going to struggle to... Uh, to get the right sort of investment in grassroots rugby. Yeah, talk, talking about um, grassroots, Jeff, and uh, I call it sort of the old boy mentality where you're hanging on to this privileged um, position of rugby union in Australia being played uh, only by private schools when you try to compete with the NRL that has a public school system and, and just filters kids through into their, into their national competitions. Is that something that Rugby Union in Australia should look at um, trying to replicate? Absolutely, and they should have looked at that years ago. And in fact, that's gone backwards. So if we look at the Sydney club competition, uh, you know, and everyone knows uh, Sydney's a big place and Western Sydney's a big place. There's there's heaps of young uh, boys and girls running out there that are talented footballers. And, you know, we've seen that with Penrith in the Rugby League. And, uh, And yet, uh, the Penrith Rugby Club uh, was booted out of the Sydney competition because the the North Shore and the Eastern Suburbs sides, you know, didn't want to drive out there basically, mm. and uh, and so uh, 
you know, there's a team in Parramatta, and that's as far as it goes. That even the Sydney club competitions concentrated just around a couple of couple of areas. So that, that has been a result of this sort of private school mentality. And there's been no mechanism for rugby in Australia to say, right, how are we going to go to public schools and attract some of these talented kids that all go to league and, and get at least some of them back in rugby and a lot of them, their parents come from the Pacific Islands or mm. New Zealand and, and they are rugby people, a lot of them, but, but league looks after that so much better. And, and we are seeing some changes, I'm particularly in Melbourne here. So we've got, uh, a movement in Melbourne where rugby now is in uh, some of the public schools here in Melbourne. And that's been started uh, largely by a New Zealand guy who set a business up to do that. And he's now receiving funding through uh, Rugby Victoria and the state government of Victoria. And they're kicking goals. And there are people now coming through into the Rebels program, the underage teams are now even into the Australian under-20s that are from this program, this public schools program in Melbourne. So we're, we're starting to see uh, some green shoots there. Uh, but really, Rugby Australia should have picked up on this, uh, you know, quite a few years ago, and we should be a lot further down the road. I guess a big part of that, Jeff, is winning the media battle, right? And, and that's the thing in Melbourne, um, is trying to trying to find some space for that, some oxygen for that, so you can get people through the door, you can attract sponsors and things. I, I remember looking at the Melbourne Ages website, I think it was before the first game of a Super Rugby season and the Rebels were hosting the Blues, maybe something like that. And, you know, you have a section on AFL, you have a section on rugby league, you have a section on motorsport, a section on basketball, a section on football. Then there was a section, other sports, with six stories in it, and not one of them was a rugby union sport. So not only did rugby union not have its section, it wasn't even in others. I mean, how hard is it getting heard in Melbourne? Yeah, it's it's almost impossible. And to the point where the two big uh, news organisations here, uh, and papers, Herald Sun and The Age, they don't even bother sending people along to uh, to rugby now, and uh, you know wow. there's been games, there's been super rugby games where I've been the only person there, and I'm I'm a I'm a commentator, I'm not a um, a, a daily journo, so I'm not doing match reports, and you know there's been a couple of press conferences. Uh, one I remember with uh, Leon McDonald and Tom Robinson walking in from the Blues. Uh, after a Super Rugby game against the Rebels, and I'm the only person in the room uh, for the press conference. And I remember Tom looking around thinking, yeah, he's looking for the cameras, thinking he's been set up. You know, you guys taking a piss here or not? And, uh, you know, so that's how dire it is uh, here in Melbourne. And it's a really difficult road. And, and I think everyone here recognises now at the Rebels and that, the only way that's going to change is if the team starts winning and uh, and then people will get interested and jump on board. But until that happens, no, rugby is, uh, you know, it's way down the list. Uh, and not just in Melbourne. It, it's happening now elsewhere, even in Sydney and Brisbane. Uh, the the coverage, is, uh, TV in particular, uh, the coverage is uh, is very poor. David Campisi is talking about identity and that Australian uh, rugby union has lost a lot of their identity. A lot of Australians actually don't know that you've won two World Cups um, and who who the Wallabies are. And then you go and sign a young kid by the name of Joseph Suwali from Sydney Roosters 
to chew up five million dollars in a in a firm that doesn't really know its identity. Where is that five million dollars better spent? Do you think in your mind? Uh, well, definitely on you know some of these public school programs. And imagine how many kids you can get, talented kids uh, playing the sport, and have a decent chance of keeping them in the game with money like that. And that's no knock on Joseph. And you know, let's hope that when he when he does start playing. Uh, he does well, and and maybe that'll attract some others or help, you know. But as you say, if you're looking to establish a firm, solid base, uh, and what is the identity of our game, you just don't go around taking one-off pot shots. And that that wasn't about Joseph Sawyer. That was about the chairman, you know, wanting to get one back at Peter Volandis and and stuff like that. And you know, again, that's another bad judgment call. You don't go into a bidding war against someone who's got a whole lot more money than you've got. And, and you know, you just get made to look stupid and your sport gets made to look stupid. And, and one of the good things that's happened yesterday is the new chairman, Daniel Herbert, coming out saying we're not going to be doing that sort of thing anymore. And that's, that's uh, pleasing to hear. And I think you know, pretty much everybody in the sport over here would support that 100%. Yeah. Jeff, do you think that that is now going to go ahead? Because I see, you know, Nick Politis has said, oh, uh, you know, Joseph's told us he'll be back in 2028 and there's a contract waiting for him, uh, which obviously is not a great look for, for rugby. Uh, and I know that uh, Phil Wars made some comments about maybe trying to get out of that deal. Do you know, do you know uh, if they are able to get out of that deal and do you expect it to go ahead? Uh, well, I don't know if they're able to or not, and you know, it depends uh, on the contract and depends on you know what Joseph wants to do. It might suit them both. Uh, no, look, I you know I don't know, and uh, you know I'm sure they'd like the money back and to be able to spend that uh, differently, as we've just talked about. But whether it happens or not, you know, I think we're just going to have to sit and sit that one out and wait and see. Um, you know, the other argument is, well, it's been done now. Uh, let's bring him in, see how he goes. But uh, it'll really depend on, you know, how how badly they want out and uh, and how badly the Roosters want to keep him. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Jeff, what about the the Australian government? You know, Bob Hawke was a was a fantastic supporter of the Wallabies. Um, way back in, in the day and, and of course the Wallabies when I was playing over there in the NRL were, were hugely um, popular. Where do the governments sit both um, federally like with your, with your governments in different states and of course centrally? Uh, well it's a good question Kepi and, and uh, I think we've sort of seen uh, that's a reflection of Australian rugby's problems. So we saw that in COVID, and I mentioned this in an article I wrote on the Raw yesterday, that you know when COVID hit, we saw that the Prime Minister, uh, unlike in New Zealand, had very limited powers, and uh, and that the COVID response around law and order and health systems and that was was run by the states and of course in the states mm. decide for themselves what's best for each state so you get different rules in different states and it confuses the hell out of everybody and frustrates them and uh, and that's exactly what's happened in rugby in australia where you know different states decide they want to do things differently so so the idea that you have a federal or a um, central administration you know running the game 
is, is sound because you just get one lot of decision makers and if everybody can get on the same page, uh, you're going to get a better result. So, so that is uh, politically the way it's set up is, uh, is a mirror image of, of how it works in rugby. Um, in terms of their investment and support for the game, it has been pretty good and again, better in some states than others and that depends on the relationships that those uh, state boards have with the state governments. But certainly in Melbourne, uh, that's been, we've seen a Bledisloe Cup here uh, for a couple of years running and that doesn't happen by accident. That's because the state government sets a lot of money in and then that money is used by the Victorian uh, Victorian rugby to invest in grassroots programs mm. and to, to, you know, into the women's game and, and the Rebels were the first team to start paying uh, their female players. So, so that, you know, some of the, the government support is good and federally it's always been pretty good for rugby. There's been good relationships as well. So rugby actually does okay out of the, out of the government and the risk is that with all the continued instability, that governments now they're looking for for excuses not to spend money. Mm, of and course, if rugby doesn't get, if they if they don't get their house in order, they're going to lose that. And uh, you know, then we're then we're in a real world of hurt. Yeah, and the other thing is that politicians like to be uh, aligned with winners. Um, and back in Bob Hawke's day, Absolutely. they were winning. <laughs> no, no, no question about that. And we see that now. You know, we've got the current prime minister, uh, you know, jumping on the bandwagon last year with the um, the uh, uh, soccer World Cup, the women's soccer World Cup, and the Australian team doing well. So, absolutely, that's what happens. And and again, we come back to it. Australian rugby, the Wallabies and the Super Rugby teams—they're not going to start winning just because they want to. You know, it's not easy, and they have to—they have to get those uh, get those wins. And there is a lot of a lot of good work going on at franchise level, and I'm pretty optimistic that we are going to see better performances next year. But but until that happens. They're not going to change the negative narrative and they're not going to get media and they're not going to get politicians on board supporting them. Jeff, I appreciate your time, mate. I know it's early there, so uh, we really like uh, thank you for getting up early and, and talking to us. And keep up the good work. If you want to read Jeff's articles, it is theraw.com.au. That is the raw. That's R-O-A-R. Raw, not R-A-W. Excellent, Jeff. Thank you very much. Yeah, really appreciate it, Jeff. Go well, brother. Uh, my, my pleasure, guys. Uh, enjoy the day. Cheers. Will do. Cheers. Need a new mobile plan? Visit Kogan Mobile. You're listening to Izzy and Kempi for breakfast. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse, keeping you healthy this spring. It is 8.29, and to celebrate the Chemist Warehouse Black Friday sale, we've got a balanced protein prize pack valued at over $150 to give away. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse and their friends at Balance. Two truths, one lie, and uh, we've basically been telling uh, three stories, one each, and you've got to pick who is telling a lie. Telling porkies, mate. Telling porky pies. Uh, Kempe, do you want to tell us your story? Uh, well, yes, uh not only just a, a coach of rugby league, but um, also done a functional medicine um, diploma uh, for health coaching, become a, a uh, accredited health coach. Robbie? My story this morning, I had lunch with the Black Caps. All right, and mine was, I used to have a yellow and black Cobra BMX, and I uh, used to do these jumps on it, and uh, one day I forgot to put my feet on the pedals and stand up when I landed, 
and rupture the testicle. Those were the three choices. And uh, congratulations to Justin, who texted through on double eight double three, saying, Ricker's line, those yellow and black bikes were HMX 500s, not BMXs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, also, I didn't rupture the text- testicle, but I did land on the front of my seat and it snapped the bolt in the seat. And boy, I had a sore bum for a while. Yeah. Um, so, you yeah. Yeah, well done, Justin. I could have, I could have coached you through that. Yeah, you could have done, mate. You yeah. could have, you might still have to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Chemist <laughs> Warehouse looking after you and uh, their friends at Balance as well. Just an $150 Balance Protein prize pack. All yours and coming your way. It is 8.30 and that means we're going to catch up with Paulie Mawadi very shortly. Right now, though, here is Araha with news for Kubota. Kubota's in-stock catalogue is out now. 27 away from 9 o'clock. Check out the Grand Tour Hub at tab.co.nz. Bet safely, R18. Paulie Mawadi, good morning to you, sir. You're looking forward to a big day at Rotorua today? Yes, punters are certainly excited. Uh, they're all getting on. Um, I'm just having a look as we speak at the uh, action that we've had so far. Um, race one, uh, I can tell you there's been a wee bit of uh, money uh, come for the first uh, starter, number 11 Squire, trained by Karen Thursden, uh, to be ridden by Masa Hasasumi. Um, there has been a bit of money there on that first starter. So uh, the Savile Row gelding um, won its trial, uh, and uh, the money says should be there or thereabouts in race one at Rotorua today. Race seven, Hey Hey Baby, with uh, McNabber on board for Ralph Manning. Both its wins have come at Rotorua. That sort of seems a little bit okay to me. Paulie, what do you reckon? Yeah, <laughs> you're sort of reading the punters' minds here, uh, because they're also very, very keen on the chances of Hey Hey Baby uh, in race seven at Rotorua today. Um, there's also been money um, for, well, they're uh, joint favourites at the, uh, at the moment, Mr Pucci and Just As Sharp, both 420, along with Hey Hey Baby. Um, So bookies unable to separate those three at the top of the market. Um, And there's been a certain amount of action on all three of those. But Hey Hey Baby has certainly attracted the most at the moment out of the three uh, joint favourites in Rotorua. Paulie, you've been taking much money on the uh, Karaka Millions, the two-year-old, three-year-old, and, and now four-year-old race this year. The, the news coming out that the Ellerslie track's looking in fine fettle um, and looking to host it in January. You there, Paulie? Hello. Hello. You guys just disappeared for a moment. What's going on? Oh, yeah. No, I was just saying, Paulie, with um, Ellerslie getting a run on, the, the jockeys out there taking horses around, apparently the track's very, very good. Are you taking any money at the moment on the futures in the uh, Karaka Millions for the twos, the threes, and the four-year-olds? Certainly in that three-year-old, um, there's been a whole lot of support for uh, Tokyo Tycoon, the gun two-year-old from last season, uh, and is joint favourite at the moment in the futures market for the uh, TAB Kraka Million three-year-old race. Um, since uh, her performance in the Thousand Guineas, Molly Bloom has really started to see uh, quite a bit of support from punters as well. Uh, $4 uh, alongside Tokyo Tycoon in that uh, uh, Kraka Million three-year-old race. So yeah, plenty of action in the um, three-year-old race around last year's uh, champion two-year-old Tokyo Tycoon. But uh, since that 1,000 guineas win, Molly Bloom has also come in for a significant amount of support.
Nice, Paulie. And uh, what about outside of racing, sport-wise, anything exciting you today? Uh, NFL, Monday Night Football, and it's a, a replay of last year's or last season's uh, Super Bowl, the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are slight favourites there, $1.65, two-and-a-half-point favourites. They are... Um, it's strange. It's the uh, Kansas City defence that has really been getting them uh, through games. Of course, they come off a bye uh, from last week after beating the Miami Dolphins in Germany the week prior. Uh, I think they're the second or third best team in terms of uh, points conceded uh, per game, just a tick under 16 points per game. So their defence really has got them going. But if you remember back to last year's Super Bowl, it was a very, very high-scoring matchup. And I expect that uh, to be the same uh, later on this afternoon with Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles travelling to Kansas City to take on Taylor Swift and the Kansas City Chiefs. I was going to say, have you got a book on which jersey she'll be wearing? Because she is a Philadelphia girl. Yeah, I get the feeling it's going to be a red one. Um, And so the boys have put out a boosted market um, to celebrate that. Travis Kelsey... Uh, to score two or more touchdowns, it's been boosted um, from 550 out to 650 and has been very popular with punters so far this morning. Nice work, Paulie. Go well, mate. Enjoy that game today. Uh, check out all the odds, promos and boosted odds on the Grand Tour Hub at tab.co.nz. Bet safely. R18. Niall Williams-Guthrie up next. It's 17 away from 9 o'clock on SENZ. Izzy and Kempe for breakfast. And uh, joining us now, a new signing for the Blues for Super Rugby Opeki season next season. It is Niall Williams-Guthrie. Uh, morning, Niall. How are you? Yeah, morning. I'm good, thank you. It's a story, mate. Uh, how's the uh, how's the code hopping going for you, mate? I mean, uh, you know, it's rugby sevens to rugby league, now back to 15s. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it's just, uh, just the timing in my life and being able to take up these opportunities is mm. the reason why I'm probably doing it all because, um, like I said yesterday, when you're in that bubble of the sevens and it's so intense of being a full-time uh, professional athlete that you, you get you, there's nothing else you can do, so you, you're full consumed in it. So to be able to now have these opportunities come my way, I think I just, before I hang up the boots, I want to make sure that I gave everything I go to, you know, I can. It's a a bit of a a trailblaze um, move from you, Noel, when you think about it, because you've got the rugby union season, I think, which is six uh, rounds, and then you've got the NRLW season, which gives you possibly the use of the whole season in in totality with rugby and rugby league. Do you think this is actually the way forward and that most girls at that level should be giving both rugby and rugby league a crack? Oh, I'm, I'm not going to tell anyone what to do, but I do think it is um, starting to head that, that way where there is athletes who are capable to do both. And because the seasons don't clash, it's just, you know, yeah. it makes sense um, if you want to get the best out of everything you can. And like I said, sometimes opportunities are too good to, to, to turn or turn down. So I think going forward that you probably will start seeing contracts which allow players to... Um, go and do stints elsewhere, which is not nothing new. Like we see that all the time in the men's um, in the men's realms, but just I think it's people are a little bit opening their eyes because it's happening now with the females, and and that's just like how good is that for our female athletes to start getting these opportunities where they can say, hey, look, 
New Zealand rugby, I want to be with you um, to the next Olympics. I'm just saying for a sevens player, for instance. But also, um, this opportunity comes up in the off-season. Man, I'm 23 years old, you know, like uh, I'm going to sit down and lock myself in for you for a long time, but I want to be able to go explore these options while I'm in my peak. And um, I think going forward, probably to be able to keep these players, we might actually have to, we'll be seeing that, you know, them doing that on the contract. Mm. Well, you got Super mm. Rugby OPEC here. You got a four week uh, preseason, which is double what it used to be. You got six uh, six rounds of of football. Uh, what are your plans for twenty twenty four? I mean, have you talked to New Zealand Rugby about potentially being in the mix to play fifteens for the Black Ferns, or are you looking at going back to NRLW once OPEC is finished? Yeah, no, I've had no conversations with um, New Zealand Rugby about. Um you know, black ferns and things like that. Um, I've only talked with the Blues and I signed with the Blues and um, knowing that I was heading back because I've already re-signed for 2024 for the Titans. So that's my plan mm. is to um, to play both and um, and then reassess after the Titans season. Yeah, and a great great Titans season too, Noel, that you had you just um, getting through to the grand final. Do, do you think, like, from the Blues perspective, to, to actually swallow, I guess, you know, that that mentality to say, well, here's Niall Williams and she actually wants to come back and, and represent with us and we've got no problem with her going back to league. Um, what are what are the benefits from a from a player's perspective going between the two codes for the for the ladies? You know, if you're playing rugby union Opiki going back to NRLW, what 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 transference is there as far as skills and talent? Oh the like everyone has to pass the ball, everyone has to make a tackle. Um, like um, when you get down to obviously the finer details, it's different. But my thing that transfer is, is being able to be in a professional environment um, mm. all the time, all year long, that and getting up and training. And then I think um, from those two, it's more so because they're both semi-pro. So you're gonna you learn things about juggling your work and being able to train at the same time but you're going between two environments that are both semi-pro, but they're still going to teach you a lot. And I think the biggest thing is being able to play sports the whole year long, um, if that makes sense, because you can double up. So you can essentially, if, if you get a good contract in those semi-pro, which um, a lot of them are good for the time frame, you probably could actually still live off that. But if mm. you wanted to make more, then you, then you can choose to be... Um, you know, whatever your side job is too, of, of income, if that makes sense. I think mm-hmm. it's more about them learning and, and growing and um, and then probably if you do eventually one becomes pro, like you've already got your foot in the door as well. What about uh, the Super Rugby Opeki season, uh, Niall? I mean, you, you played centre most of the season for the Titans. How do you think that translates to where you would play in 15s? I mean, are you looking at a 12-13 slot or, or where do you see yourself playing? Yeah, I think so. I think in that midfield would probably suit me best. Um, but obviously the the coaches really, we haven't really sat down and had a, a big talk about where I'd play. But I think just with the movements going forward, like at the end of the day, like it was only, what, eight eight months ago that I was playing seven. So it's not like I'm, those habits have died. Um, like I think I'll still be able, I still know the rules of the game of, of, um, of rugby. So, but I think just in terms of movement, probably out in that midfield would be more most similar. Yeah, I see. I see the the um, the similarities, especially for the ladies when they're coming back through them. You, you're dead right. You still got to catch and pass. You still got to tackle. Um, very, you know, until you get down to the technical stuff is where it gets a little bit 
little bit difficult. Um, Niall, what has been your most enjoyable? Because you know, I'm going to ask you a Lee question here. What, what has been your most enjoyable yeah. thing that you've you've I guess um, taken away from just your first season with the Titans? Oh, you know what? It's just being able to be back in a semi-pro environment, and a lot of people probably be like, "What?" But obviously, I'm 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 lucky enough to have come from a pro environment and to see how much these ladies work off the field, um, doing jobs, you know, doing a job from seven to four in the afternoon, coming straight to work uh, for the Titans and seeing them go from 4.30 to 8.30 at night. Like, it's just crazy. And it kind of, Mm. it just brought back that joy and that love. Like, man, like, look at all these girls. They're back where, you know, sevens used to be and they're working their ass off to try and get this game to become a full-time profession. And And I think for me, it just, just gave me a new lease of energy and love for the, for sports again. Um, that I was kind of probably dying out a little bit, if that's fair yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and what about uh, transitioning between the sports? How much do you have to do? Like, say, going from league to union, are you having to hit the weights more, or are you having to do more cardio? I mean, how, how do the games differ from you as an athlete point of view? Yeah, I, I definitely had to get stronger for league because it's a lot more. Um, upper contact you're in the wrestle in the fight that was probably the biggest difference was um man like people are really strong across the whole board in rugby league but in saying that people are strong in rugby but you just don't feel it as much because the contact area is about being quick you know chop mm. get them down and so someone can get over and steal the ball hopefully or whatever but with league it's not about that's the complete opposite you know you're trying to wrap them up you're trying to wrestle you're trying to get them on the back stay as long as you can to get that advantage for your defense line so um, that was a really big learning for me to um, physically I had to get stronger just to be able to dominate more in that contact area uh, welfare and support, Niall, you know, like you guys, when you're saying you've, the girls are coming back, you know, going through that semi-professional mode of working all day, then spending four hours in a in a gym and, a, and on a field. What's what's the welfare support like for uh, the ladies in the in the in the competitions? Can, are, are they pretty similar both in rugby and rugby league? Yeah, I think uh, I think even in the like they both have. Um, I think in the rugby circles is called your PDM you know they're looking after you off field but they're more so probably helping with trying to get study and all that stuff on top of it um, whereas like we have that time we have to do it in kind of uh, the league circles so they actually have a well-being officer and um, a lot of people know her and everyone calls her Auntie Carms in the NRL she's with us at the Titans and um, she's awesome she's amazing she's fully checking in and like not just about what you're doing outside of um league it's the personal chicken like how are you as a person how are you as a mum like do we need a you need to see your kids like how are you tracking um mentally um can we help you in any way like it was yeah i think the maybe to a degree where they have to be a little bit more hands-on but because it is a semi-pro but like they are awesome over in the nrlw and i really um enjoyed my time and felt really looked after off the field uh, no, normally at, at, at sort of half time, uh, you know, the, the traditional thing is you get oranges. Uh, but with Loss being uh, the assistant coach at the Blues, uh, you get toffee pops at half time now. How does that work? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, best of luck with the switch back to 15s and uh, with the uh, the Blues for Super Rugby Opec for next season, eh? 
Thanks, boys. Appreciate it. No Cheers, worries. Uh, you go, uh, Niles Guthrie Williams with us here. That's uh, that's awesome, eh? And she's, uh, she's she's been able to switch. It makes total sense. We've been talking about that all year that the the woman should be able to go and play rugby in the Opaki and then go and play NRLW if they're good enough because it gives them that opportunity, like Niall said, to be semi-pros and 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 eventually they'll be able to make a full-time living out of it. So um, she is a trailblazer. She yeah. is a trailblazer. And well done to the Blues for, for swallowing that pill, you know, because I know it'll be a hard one when, you, when you're going, well, we're not going to go and get a league girl because the boys don't do it that well. No. Um, and here we have Niall Williams coming back saying, well, yeah, I'm going to go and play for the Blues, but I'm heading back to the Titans uh, for the rest of their season um, who went to the grand final last year and, and just got pipped by, I think it was a night. So, yeah, it was. Yeah, um, yeah. Well done to Niall. It's, yeah, I, I, look, I see, I, I see a lot more younger women taking that opportunity to get both codes under their belt during a season. Yeah, and why not? Why not? You can you can make a career out of it too. So uh, well done to them. We're looking forward to seeing how she goes. We're six away from nine o'clock. No, Daniel McCarty today. So you got Louis Herman Watt in the hot seat. We'll catch up with him next. Yeah, coming up to nine o'clock and after the latest in news and sport with Araha, uh, Louis Herman Watt takes uh, uh, the reins and through till midday. What's coming up today, Louis? Yeah, plenty, Rick. Uh, back from under my racing rock and trying to get back into the world of sport. So I've I've been shocked and, um, you know, I, I've really kind of learnt a lot in the last two hours of reading what's happened in the last few days. <laughs> gee, gee whiz, it's, it's been busy. It usually starts to wind down at this time of year, but there's plenty going on. So we'll talk to Ben Davis, uh, Davis after... Uh, 11, just to get a bit of a touch base with what's going on in Australia, Rugby Australia, Cricket Australia, lots going on on the Western Island. David Bolesky, our golf guru, to wrap the DP World Tour season. Lots of Kiwi success to talk about, obviously. And then two, uh, as well as that, Logan Van Beek coming up to wrap the Cricket World Cup very shortly. Awesome, mate. It's a full show. Go well 